The following podcast contains subject matter that may be unsuitable for more sensible viewers. Views expressed here do not reflect that of any community that you would want to be a part of. Listener discretion is mandatory. Mama, what does chickens mean? No, 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 no! Okay, so yeah, Re. Yes. I'm sorry, but Jeremy Irons looks like Jordan Peterson. No, Jordan Peterson wishes he looked like Jeremy Irons. <laughs> like that, no, I sent you this, like that makeup pic of Jordan Peterson that his like daughter did looks exactly like Jeremy Irons at the, the end of this movie. Like the drag look. Jeremy Irons, it's it, it like I'm just, I well, I'm not attracted to Jordan Peterson and I'm attracted to Jeremy Irons like in a gay way. Like, that is one thing that I've kept, like, throughout my transition. Like, I still am attracted to Jeremy Irons as a gay man, despite but my transition. Not, not as a woman. No. <laughs> like, we're recording But I'm a Cheerleader after this, and I relate to that because I am sexually attracted to rock as a gay man, <laughs> but not as a woman. No, because in this movie, he's, like, a sad, like, he wears, like, the same shitty sort of suits and outfits as Jordan Peterson. He looks like Jordan Peterson. He's he does. like melancholic and narcissistic. Like he interacts sexually with Song in the same way that I think that Jordan Peterson interacts sexually with his wife. Yeah, has really weird opinions about like women and like East East mm-hmm. versus West. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Like Jordan Peterson did not get his wife pregnant through regular sex. He got his wife pregnant through dry humping. <laughs> Just like, just like Renee got song pregnant through dry humping. Weird, like back clothes on, backwards dry humping, and then she leaves for nine months and then comes back with a baby. And then immediately like goes in- to Lao Guy. This is the heterosexual mating rituals. That just all, like God all- intended. Yeah. And then he comes back and he like writes theses on um, the Gulag Archipelago. <laughs> Is it still a gulag if it's in China? Because aren't they like functionally the same thing? No, they're they're different. Okay. Re- okay. So <laughs> that's racist. Clearly, you have not read the Little Red Book because if you had, you would understand that Lao guy. Yo, who has read it though? Raising exercise. Jordan Peterson has definitely read that book. Jordan Peterson has not read that book. No, I think it's the only communist literature he has. No, you're read. thinking you're thinking of the other Little Red Book. <laughs> <laughs> The Communist Manifesto. No. Oh, right. I guarantee Jordan Peterson has not read Mao's Little Red Book. He knows literally nothing about Maoism or what makes it distinct from Marxism and Leninism. My grandparents actually had a, little, a copy of the Little Red Book, like, just in the, on their bookshelf growing up, which is very... Were grandparents far- revolutionaries? No, I, no. I think because they're back in the 70s, Love people would just hand them out and they just never bothered to throw it out. Okay, should we actually do this stupid podcast? And welcome Price. back to Tranifesto, Tranifesto, or How I Learned to Stop Wearing and Love Bad Representation. The uh, current goal for our upcoming Patreon is $1 to ruin Amy's love life, which is, you know, I know it's a lofty goal, <laughs> but we can, uh, I think if we come together, Honestly, $1 is excessive. Like, you can donate half of that to charity. It does not take much. <laughs> Like, 50 cents to ruining my love life, 50 cents to the Trevor Project. <laughs> it's just fucking Doctors Without Borders, just like, we got a, a 50 cent donation to ruin Amy's love life. <laughs> I honestly don't think I need the financial support to do it. 
I think I'm okay. Both both are charity cases. If you donate, you get a tax receipt. Good job. Hey, welcome back to Trenifesto. Yes, Trenifesto, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Bad Representation. I am one of your hosts, Madeline Hops. I am joined today by... Amelia Blar. And we... And that bitch. And that bitch, we... Our bitch. Our wonderful bitch. We love our bitch. Yeah, Bitches we, for we the pod. We stand Everybody. a bitch. bitch So, yes, for this week's episode. This episode brought to you by um, Jordan Peterson looking Jeremy Irons. Mao Zedong. <laughs> if you haven't been able to guess, uh, we are watching the uh, David Cronenberg film from the early 90s, M. Butterfly. Not to be confused well, with Madame Butterfly, but which M. I don't Butterfly. Think, Although I don't the think M it, does stand for Madame. Yeah, I it don't does, think anybody's going to guess because I don't know if anybody's ever actually seen this movie. That's yeah, true. Yeah, but it's going to be in the title. Exactly. And we're going to do I promotional think... tweets. Come on, I'm just saying, we shouldn't, we're gonna annoy we, we shouldn't people. expect anybody to have ever seen this movie or to like know that it existed prior to this. I think it's worth watching. Oh, like, absolutely. Don't worry about spoilers because I know you're probably not going to watch it, but it's worth watching. I mean, we'll get into the film shortly. I'm sure we're all going to have our opinions on it. Uh, but just a brief synopsis of the movie. Uh, so M. Butterfly is a 1993 American romantic drama film directed by David Cronenberg, our boy Cronenberg. Our boy. And much like yes. uh, much like all of Cronenberg's films, there's definitely body horror in this, which again, we'll get to shortly. Uh, it was based yeah, on so a it's, st- it's based on a stage play, which is based on a true story, right? Yeah, so which is, is which is also a- influenced by a traditional opera. Yeah, so and it's, like Maoism. A, it's like a six-layer dip in yeah. Maoism. Yeah. So we have two main characters of this story. We have Rene, who is a French diplomat who works at the French embassy consulate in Beijing. In but has a British accent. Well, he has a British accent because he's French, but they want to speak English, but they still want him to sound foreign. And so he's got an English accent. um, And he works (laughs) at the French consulate in Beijing in 1964, you know, assisting the French in, you know, mundane tasks like trying to recapture Indochina from the communist dogs and bring down the red menace in China and restore the French imperial throne to what it once was. Um, so he's a as busy boy. Yeah, he's also married, but that really does not matter. Um, no, and our second character is named Song. And Song is a man. We will get, to, we will get into that later. But Song yeah, is a hey. man who is an opera performer who plays a woman in his performances because that's sort of the traditional way that he does it very shakespearean like it's yeah yeah. very shakespearean very athenian basically i think that men always play women traditionally ain't that how it goes Um, song has a quote in this where he says that men always play women because only men know how women are supposed to act which is why it's perfectly fine that men are always playing trans women in movies yeah and there's absolutely no problem with any of it and we should just scrap this whole podcast yeah it's not it's right. not it's not that it's that uh men should representation is good it's not that uh, trans women should play women it's just that trans women can't be trusted to play themselves in film yeah, well, no women can do a shitty job of themselves it. only men should play anybody <laughs> we're not gonna get it right right so renee is working at the consulate being a boring imperialist but he's bored so he goes to the opera and at the opera he is captivated by song's performance and he sort of creepily stalks her and begins an affair with her but it turns out 
that Song orchestrated the whole thing because Song is working for the communist government of China and is infiltrating the French consulate through the seduction of Rene in order to... Cross-dressers for Mao! In order to get intelligence about American troop movements in the Vietnam War in the mid-1960s from him through seduction. And so essentially, Song acts as the ultimate geopolitical proletarian espionage trap. (laughs) And I'd like to remind everyone as well, this is based on a true story. This actually happened. indeed based upon a true story. Yeah. So how can we weaponize (laughs) cross-dressers? Renee and Song... Well, Mao figured it out. So <laughs> Renee and Song have this affair and it goes on and, you know, Song makes up excuses about modesty in order to keep her, keep his clothes on while they fuck or like dry hump or whatever. <laughs> and eventually... They grind sensually. Song has totally infiltrated Renee's intelligence, but also Renee has like terrible takes about the Vietnam War and about American involvement and like gives really bad advice to the French consulate and eventually- basically when you when you when you think that like a specific demographic are like dumb and submissive mm-hmm. it's really easy to get fooled and taken advantage of by them yes um, and he certainly does think that Asian women are dumb and submissive which song uses oh. to full advantage and we'll get into that. It's so uncomfortable. Um, So as Renee's career at the consulate is coming to a close because of his bad takes, Song also pretends to have gotten pregnant dubiously because they've only dry humped, but Renee is also an (laughs) alcoholic, so he probably doesn't even remember not actually fucking. (laughs) That clip was really big. Convinces the Red Guard to help him. He thinks Asians get butt pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) He probably oh, does, and oh. probably so does Jordan Peterson. <laughs> oh my god! So just to tie things together, he convinces like the Red Guards or the Communist Party or something to procure a baby to pretend to be <laughs> Renee's baby. This actually happened, by the way. That part was accurate. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. in the real world, and then says it is tradition for him to go back to his live with his family for three months while he raises their son. Um, and during that time, Renee, his career falls apart and his marriage falls apart. And Song comes back with the baby, but then says, no, the Red Guards have arrested me because I am an artist and sent me to Laogai for re-education through hard labor. Which was um, true. With that, the baby. That, that did happen in, yeah, the, that part was accurate. in the narrative. Yes. And so Renee loses his job, loses his transvestite Asian GF. Loses his goddamn mind. And goes back to Paris and basically becomes a lonesome alcoholic in Paris. And Song eventually comes back and follows him and comes and lives with him and convinces him to get a job as a courier for the government. And it convinces him that he has to use that job to provide intel to the Chinese government in order to keep their son safe and let them see him again. And then they both get arrested by the French. Because ends. obviously. Like, it, like instantly. Like it happens like the next, like it's like, oh, I'm going to do this. And like well, the next scene they get arrested. it takes a while. Like Song for a while in 1968 was busy helping all the Maoist students lead to like the 68 uprisings in France. Um, but then he got bored and went and fucked Renee some more. Ah. But yeah, eventually they get caught. They go to trial. They go to prison. Renee figures out that Song was a dude the whole time, which he is totally bewildered by. 
they have a confrontation in the prison van and winds up both in prison and Renee has a strange epiphany about his own gender and starts doing sort of his own Beijing opera performance in the prison. And that's the ending. And nothing else happens. Yeah, absolutely nothing happens except for the one ending where he yeah he slits his throat and dies yeah yeah that was that was the ending yeah no i think that was a pretty good summary of of the film it was it's i don't know it's like a is it musical spy thriller as well i mean it was originally a stage it's a musical spy thriller about imperialism and maoism and race and gender and sexuality yeah I think that's pretty good. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of, it's got a lot of different things going on inside of it. Kind of dope, actually. <clears throat> See, I thought, I thought, I thought you guys would like it. I enjoyed it because, like, I as a trans movie, it's dubious <laughs> as a film. Because, like, I actually, I watched it like way back when I was still an egg and was just like Google movies with weird gender shit, and like this is one of the ones that came up, and like that's the where I first saw it. This is back, of course, when I was still in denial, but I was just like, oh, this. And then you realize that you needed to become a Maoist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, here then we I, are. Then I, tra- then I transition into a Maoist. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think uh, a couple of things that we want to go over. We'll start off with the, whatever, you know, what we start off with, which is I think it's a good idea to kind of examine uh, the chaser element of this uh, with Jeremy Irons' character. Uh, does anybody yeah, want to kind of get in? Yeah, Renee. Does anybody want to kind of get into that? So... I like noticed this right away, like watching this recently, is that there, and this is assuming that you can, this is placing the racial element and the cultural element in the same place that you would put like the element of the transness, because Jeremy Irons is a, he's like an alienated person in a, trying his best to, it's his job to understand the culture around him, but he has no idea what he's doing and no idea like what he's talking about, so... The moment yeah, that he meets like an alluring, yeah. So the moment yeah. that he meets like an alluring woman who is down to talk to him about like imperialism and colonialism and stuff, and he immediately and call gets, him a white devil. Exactly, and he immediately becomes enamored because he's like, "Oh, I'm a fucking woke bro, and let's talk." And this chick wants to talk about fucking yeah. imperialism, and like, I get to. In fact, he has like really fucked up. A- sort of ideas about what Asian women are. Yeah, he like has all of the submissive... Western, toxic, racist yeah. stereotype of Asian women as submissive and as subservient mm-hmm. and as sort of the ultimate feminine archetype, Yeah, which he absolutely projects upon her, which is probably part of why he never clocks her. It's also true. Uh, also, and too, just the... Part of why he sort of builds this dynamic with her of domination, which we'll get into as well. For sure. Uh, just a quick disclaimer as well. Um, so, race played pretty heavily into this film, and we should probably just quickly acknowledge that all three of us are... We are, are white. Just we are extremely so white. white. Are, we are white. The fact that I'm having difficulty, there's no Starbucks around me where I am in, in Quebec right now. So, it's been hard. So, we're that white. Um, so we will do our best to approach the subject. We apologize if we don't get it right. Um, but we're definitely going to acknowledge it as we talk about it. But the good news is, is that we hated the white racism in this movie fairly universally and the colonialism that went with it. Although I think that the movie is interestingly critical of that. Like, I was very impressed with the fact that Renee's racism and imperialist attitude was very much sort of 
in front of the firing squad of this movie's script. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. he's he is never the good guy in this, and he is never portrayed as right. Yeah. And the entire crux of the story revolves around Chinese main character recognizing Renee's shitty racism and then using that against yeah. him and just, like, playing into it enough to can keep his ideas up and like just fucking making shit up out of whole cloth and telling him it's uh, ancient Chinese wisdom or whatever. There's there's that quote from song at the end during the trial um, where he's explaining how he tricked Renee into believing this whole made up bullshit about him being a woman, um, which was, he was very responsive to my ancient Oriental ways of love, all of which I invented myself for him. And like that was basically their dynamic was song saw straight through him he saw that this was a racist white devil westerner who had all these fucked up ideas about asian womanhood that he could exploit and take advantage of and build up in order to turn him into the perfect double agent for maoist china and also to the uh and that's also portrayed as a good thing hmm. yeah and also, too, like, Jeremy Irons' character, just, like, as a character in the whole, like, he never got better. He got, like, greasier and dirtier as he went on. At least that's how it looked to me. Oh, no, he was so gross by the end of that movie. Yeah, there was a part in there, too, he looked like fucking Norman Bates, just when he's, like, not Norman Bates, um, uh, American Psycho. Um, but, yeah, like, he just never got better. And I Patrick think that was Bateman? Some... Oh, that's the one. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Norman and that's Bates, about- Patrick Bateman, same character. Yeah, Norman no. Bates will get into in a future yeah. episode. <laughs> that's a different episode, and I really want to do it. So one aspect also, just to bring it back to the transness, is so the way that this ties into the opera Madame Butterfly is, when they fir- is that mm-hmm. he first meets her when she's performing some parts of it, and she tells, her, she tells uh, him about how she hates that story because it's about... It's written by a white person about a white man who gets the girl and then leaves and then she kills herself because she's too heartbroken and how that's like obviously like imperialist and colonialist and like sexist and everything Mm -hmm. and but there's also a part of it where they're when they're talking about that and he's projecting that character onto her or on for the the entire thing and Mm -hmm. like it creates sort of a romanticism a romanticization and fetishization of tragedy which is sort of what bring is sort of what people do to trans people a lot like the idea of oh it must be so hard to be you you must go through so many struggles let me be like a strong person who can help you you. yeah um and that's something that like when song told renee that he was pregnant um that was something renee said he was like i'll save you you know i'll take care of you and i'll save you and i'll be here for you and i will be your savior Mm -hmm. and that is how renee saw himself as this he had this like intense savior complex where he was the strong western man who has come to save this innocent and vulnerable asian woman yeah and um, i mean and it kind of relates to like uh chaserdom which is the whole idea like yeah, a lot exactly of, a lot of chaser guys uh by the way just a quick That's, definition uh chaser is just basically men who fetishize fetishes. trans women. yeah fetishes yeah and, and like basically the dudes who super like me on tinder <laughs> you fuckers know who you are but the idea that like it's it's the the chaser element boils down to the fact that he objectified her rather than allowing her to be a person and it's the idea that like Mm -hmm. like you said like oh you're the butterfly you know i respect you i see the beauty in you 
and which it's, is so it's all- fucked up because like he's like he goes to her and says oh are you gonna be my butterfly like and the context of that is that, that it's a it, the context of butterfly is that the the white guy fucks over the asian girl just like yeah. big, and then leaves and then she kills herself like it's not a good thing yeah. to be projecting onto somebody song says yes but that's because song is fully exploiting renee yeah exactly it's like those dumbass kids who think romeo and juliet is a great love story mm-hmm. and yeah chasers do that with trans people too where it's like you exploit the fact that this is a vulnerable person with a vulnerable sense of self and you basically say well you know as long as i do the bare minimum i'm doing this person a favor which is exactly why like again going back to like the other things that we've covered why these like tragic trans stories can be problematic because if that's your point of reference for trans people you're going to like you're going to project that onto other trans people and that's going to inform you when you're attracted to a trans person you're like this is an easy vulnerable person to take advantage of this is someone who's going to cut realize this is this is somebody who's going to cut off their dick with scissors if i don't save them exactly yeah and like and and it's also too it's what forces like us sometimes because we do have insecurities as well but like people that tend Mm -hmm. to prey on that part of it will bring it out because you know like if you're Mm -hmm. if you're you know if i've been going out for a date with you know chaser and he's basically just trying to focus on the traumas of life and that i think it's conversation for a lot of people mm-hmm. like us we're lonely and so we'll try to actually have a conversation with them and it, it almost creates a very uh, domineering relationship which is exactly what happened yeah. in this movie mm-hmm. well that's exactly what it is is it's a relationship based upon the exploitation of a power dynamic for sort of trans chasers it's the exploitation of being a cis man exploiting a trans woman or for like um, racial chasers as being like a white person exploiting a person of color and that dynamic is one of power and it's one of manipulation and exploitation Mm -hmm. there's one line that i actually found kind of interesting just to step aside a little bit Mm -hmm. was it was early on it was jeremy irons character's wife and while jeremy irons was talking about like oh this woman told me why the Chinese don't like Madame Butterfly because the white guy gets the girl and then the um, wife is just like well why can't they just like it as a piece of music why do they have to make a whole thing out of it I wrote that down too yeah yeah Yeah, no his wife is awful Well, that's the whole idea. I wrote that. Like, I said his wife is a toxic, racist piece of shit. In my notes. Well, you know, well, well, it's it's literally like the people like in real life with the whole like fucking. I think there's a uh, football team, Washington Reds, and people are like, oh, yeah. there's, there's lots of ones like that. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly, yeah. and it's always the people who are just like, it's like, oh, it doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's like, it does. Like, why can't you just appreciate yeah, it? As it's a easy for you team? to say it doesn't mean well, anything when it doesn't it's, mean it's, anything it's, to you. It's the most obvious criticism of our podcast. Like, why are we making such a big deal about this? What could we? possibly have to say about girl that takes 50 minutes yeah or like an hour and a half jokes jokes we have jokes Jokes. we got jokes baby speculations on amy's love life we love my love life and dick jokes the whole movie is basically just him chasing them and i was very confused too like the part that was unclear initially was whether uh song knew that he had a wife but I guess that was kind of just, that was eventually resolved. Yeah, eventually Song just said he knew. So I guess he knew the whole time. Also, another question is like, did Renee know that Song was a man? Which is actually asked in court, the it, at the trial at the end, the court repeatedly asked Song, well, did he know you were a man? Like, yeah. he must have known you were a man. Look at you. Um, and Song's like, you know, he never asked. Yeah. Which is, which I know is my go-to line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, same. We just don't talk about it. No, exactly. Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, you just keep your clothes on the whole time. Well, I think that I think that that's a good place. That's a power move. That's a good place to go into talking about song and the weird implication of songs, gender identity yes. in this film. Who the hell is song? So we've been using he, him pronouns mostly. We've been yeah. jumping because back and forth, sort of and we has... did have a discussion about this. Yeah, we which did we before. have not been um, sticking to. The reason is because the movie sort of maintains that he's a man. I don't think the real life song was very clear and lived a lot of his life as a man. And so I think it's easiest to use he, him pronouns because certainly we can't say that song is a trans woman. Yeah. So this is like, I think we can either say cross gesture performative or a gay man in denial. Uh, that, that old stereotype. Well, like, there is an implication throughout the entire thing. There's the part where um, Song's, ha- like, handler from the government is mm-hmm. essentially, p- like, paying Song in, like, newspapers, like, fashion, like, magazines and stuff. Yeah. And saying, oh, this is disgusting. Why do you want this? And, like, Song is, like, kind of, like, looking longingly at, like, you know, fashion magazines. Yeah, and the handler asks Song. Yeah, which is, again, like, the, t- the traditional way to say that somebody is a trans person is to make them look longingly at like a yeah. feminine yeah handler says to song like you know this is such a gross stereotype of women and also like why are you still performing this femininity when he's not even here and song basically says you know it is best for me to maintain the performance as thoroughly as possible in order to provide the greatest service to the great proletarian state um which great deflection i use that all the time <laughs> And also the like the conversation at the end where they're both in the paddy wagon and there's the implication that like, you know, Song both like strips down to show like this is this is who I was the entire time. You're an idiot for not yeah. seeing it. But then also like has an emotional connection that was like, it was real. Like why like it was even though this is who I am, it wasn't all fake, which is yeah. the implication. Yeah, like I was under here the whole time and Song like sobs. Yeah. When yeah. Renee rejects him at the end. Because and that and that comes to the the idea of uh, like loving someone regardless of gender. Mm-hmm. Because and that's proves an interesting because like I'm pie I'm pie. I'm pan by <laughs> whatever I'm pie. We're gonna call it pie. We're gonna bring the two together. Pisexual. Pisexual. Yeah, pisexual. So gender is absolutely irrelevant to me in the attraction of somebody. It doesn't matter. And um so I guess it's the interesting idea of like like when a lot of us transition, there is a sense that a lot of our friends do walk away from us and some family members do walk away from us because even though they said they love us, the fact that we switch genders for them is directly built into that ability to love someone. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, in reality, it should be, you know, you love someone regardless of that, but I don't find that often happens. And this movie kind of exemplified it in that moment with the rejection. Yeah. Like Renee sort of says to Song, I loved the woman you performed, but no one else could come close to that performance. Even though the same person is right there. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not doing the performance anymore. It was the performance that Renee loved, which mm-hmm. wasn't a real person. Which is like also fits in, it fits into the fetish, fetishization element of it. Like yeah. this, he yeah, never exactly. loved her. He was always projecting something onto this person. So once there mm-hmm. is like the thing that is being projected onto changes, like that shatters the whole illusion. Yeah. And like, yeah, it, like it, what he loved was that he fully performed the archetype that he expected of a, an, like an Asian woman. Yeah. Um, better than any real person could have because it was fake because it was constructed 
because it was exactly what he wanted. Mm, which... That creates like some really interesting dynamics compared to like, you know, the conversations that you have after transition, because a lot of times when people are pre-transition, they are putting on a character. They are like performing Ex- was masculinity. Say, yeah. well, aren't we all putting on a character? Well, of course, well, but... I mean, I don't care anymore. Nobody here speaks English, so I'm all good. (laughs) But no, but you're absolutely right. Like people fall in love with the character that we create over time, which is like just kind of aside from this movie for a second on how much fault lies where, because there's the fault of the audience who believes the lie, even though they say they know you um, versus Mm -hmm. the fault of you for creating that uh, lie based on a perception of other people as well. Well, I mean, Song created the lie to steal secrets from the French consulate about American troop movements in Indochina. Yeah, that's why I transitioned. So it's totally her <laughs> fault. How much, but how much of that, like, because we don't know what song was like before that. We don't know how much of themselves song was bringing into that role. And like, obviously, like, there's the yeah. implication that like, you know, as a performer, as an artist, this is just kind of how he was. And they were using mm-hmm. that rather than getting him to like play this role. Like, I don't know, because we don't know you know, the prequel to the character. So it's kind of hard to like tell exactly what is real and what is performed. Well, and- it could also be a situation which it's a commentary on like gender fluidity for people that are that way. Mm-hmm. Because if Song is themselves in both places, you know, it could be argued to that maybe Song was gender fluid, uh, especially the character yeah. they're based on in real life. Yeah, um, like the character in real life said that both men and women saw something in me and it doesn't really matter what I was or what they were, which is interesting. And it certainly is sort of a commentary on gender fluidity or the irrelevance of gender. Which is kind of interesting because it's a character who is like being malleable within the binary, but compared to the other Chinese women in this are propped up in a very like Maoist abolition of gender sort of agenderness yeah. Yeah. and it's kind of it, it's interesting to see both of those agender or like n- non-binary presentations propped up next to each other even though they're fundamentally different things with completely different philosophies yeah mm-hmm. like that one quote where like the cadre like the, the comrade asks or, or like song asks his comrade why in beijing opera are women's role tr- women's roles traditionally played by men and she replies, most likely a remnant of the reactionary and patriarchal social structure. And that is sort of the political space in which Song was operating. Well, she's yeah. right, but you shouldn't say it. <laughs> well, that's kind of what online is like, isn't it? That's Twitter. Even the part with the awkward word, like the initial time, uh, there was the tea ceremony and like Jeremy Irons forced himself on Song. Like, I mm-hmm. guess that was Song luring him into that scenario. But that is really uncomfortable to think like that is what... I mean, it's true, but no, like, yeah. that's how men perceive women. Like, even if Song was ultimately sort of exploiting it, mm-hmm. Renee didn't know. Renee was, like, forcing himself upon a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because Renee saw Song as, like, that archetypal feminine, like, the perfect, submissive, subservient woman and that he could exploit fully. And that was, like, the only woman he was able to love. You know, he said, like, everyone else falls short because Mm -hmm. that was the only real thing that he was able to actually love was this construct. And that's why he wasn't able to love Song in the end. It's why he cheated on his wife and wasn't able to love that other woman he had an affair with briefly. 
because they could never live up to that. And I kind of want to take that into the like next idea is like the sexual dynamics of the characters. Yes. Because they're something that I noticed is especially early on when they're having these discussions about uh, racial stereotypes and imperialism and colonialism and stuff. There is an implication that like Jeremy Irons is in a sense like completely conscious of the dynamics at play and they're discussing the the dynamics and they're basically like you know when she says like oh there's because like of the submission and everything like there's even an implication to me serving you tea and then like but he's like I'm gonna Mm -hmm. lean into this and like the implication is that they're both aware of the problematic dynamics and building a kink relationship based on the dynamics yeah it's 50 shades of gray for malice which is interesting because it's something that I've definitely heard happening like that's something like that happens to trans people especially mm-hmm. among chasers like if you get if you end up like you know hanging out with a woke bro who's like oh i'm not a chaser i'm super woke i love trans women and then and you were both acknowledge both acknowledge that but then continues to do chasery things with that veneer because i'm mm-hmm. conscious of it so i couldn't possibly be doing it and it creates right, that you know, sort I, of dynamic I love trans women when trans women are women i just like to keep my relationships private yeah exactly yeah when you're the side fling that you're the you're the hidden girlfriend that kind of fucking sucks yeah renee also fetishizes her or his fetishizes song's body like the the lack of developed womanhood of it like song is like why are you still interested in me in me despite having the chest of a boy yeah and exactly Renee says you don't have the chest of the of a boy you have the chest of a schoolgirl, which is so much worse that is so much worse fucking gross yeah um, no and of course song is like playing it up and exploiting it but it's fucking disgusting Mm -hmm. it's like some of the lines they could drop on you that maybe it's not meant to again the chasery parallel uh like lines that they drop on you that were that they think are supportive but aren't like oh i would have never known you're not a woman it's like oh Mm -hmm. i mean there are some like you know lesser harsh ones but there's things like i I still like one would be i still think of you as a woman even though you have a penis it's like those are Mm -hmm. those can be comments that are made in maybe an earnest uh intent but come across really really bad yeah what this reminds me of actually every is... message i receive on tinder yeah exactly <laughs> one thing i would that... have never known you were trans <laughs> okay shut up you look so good like for... when was your transition you I, I would have never known you look so good for being a did you get a boob job you don't look like a trans woman at all uh, thanks <laughs> Thanks, guys. So the thing that this reminded me of was it was an interview with the writer, um, the journalist Natasha Lenard, um, mm-hmm. and she was talking about how she was in a shitty relationship where her partner would use, like, basically pressure her into doing threesomes as a, but like treating it as like a form of praxis, like getting somebody to do like kinky sex or whatever that you might not want to do, but because since it's against the um, against the norm. It's like, no, it's praxis. No, we're sticking it to the, like, powers that be by having, like, like, fuck it, like, fucking threesomes with like other girls that i also want to fuck yeah like polyamory is praxis and you should exactly that is exactly what i'm talking about the fucking enforced polyamory of every woke dude in vancouver um that's exactly what i was getting at and yeah that certainly is like i don't know how much it applies to this movie but it certainly is like no go off on the tangent please the act of like kink or non-normative sexual or romantic relationships as praxis very easily leads into exploitation because people feel like a moral political responsibility to follow through on things they aren't necessarily committed to yeah and so they're in like a really easily exploitable relationship yeah which is a problem dudes who actually just want to like have side chicks and fuck a lot and not commit but believe like 
sort of buy into or at least perform the idea of like the sort of ethical slut non-monogamy as political I mean, technically ideal. you can't have a non-exploitative relationship until you've read The Ethical Slut, so. <laughs> Nobody has ever had a non-exploitative relationship. And you can Ex- list why Fifty Shades of Grey is problematic. <laughs> and also, not to misrepresent, this is just as much a problem among the trans community as it is among, like, oh, shitty socialists. Oh, yeah, no, it's awful. Don't 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 think that you're that you don't, don't have think you're to computing. be in relationships you don't want to be in just because you think that the way they're organized is more radical you love who you love but don't don't settle anyways to bring it back around uh one last uh thing is to talk go ba- about renee again and his sort of the ending psychosis well, also, like, even just to start out, like, it's interesting to see this character doing this and presenting him as, like, this emasculated, alienated man mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. is... A soy boy. Again, like, yeah, well, we see him as, like, you know, somebody who just is fucking miserable and... He's so insecure. Like, in his job, when he gets promoted to vice consul at the French embassy, he's so fucking insecure there's this incredibly painful to watch scene where he's sitting there in front of his new team who are all older than him and he's like fidgeting in his chair and saying you know like clearly i have a lot to learn but you know you you all have to let me learn please and it's really just emasculating like he's he's i'm trying to say i'm trying to think of how to say he's a cuck without saying he's a cuck no you can just say he's a cuck he's a cuck like cook Cut, cut, cut so hard that he accidentally incited the U.S. invasion of Vietnam. <laughs> yes, that was another thing. It's like, have you ever, have you ever been so fucking much of a wimp that you accidentally convinced the USA to launch an invasion of Indochina? Which is, it is implied. Cut so hard. For it is Maoism? implied that's part of his fuck up was. He had this wild take about how, like, Vietnam just wanted to be ruled by America. And so they would welcome the Americans when they come. And we should send that hint over to the Americans because they don't have an embassy in China. And they did. And then the cons, like the, the head, like the ambassador is like, you fucking said that Vietnam would welcome the Americans. You dipshit, you're fired. <laughs> Which, like, how emasculating is it to cause a geopolitical crisis? As long as somebody lost a job over the Vietnam War. <laughs> At least somebody did. Also, you know what? This movie did convince me, though. More revolutions need accordion players. That was awesome. Oh, this when the, the Red Guard are burning all of the uh, yeah. theater stuff? Uh, we, we, we stand. Yeah, because you, like, you two more of the history buffs than I am. So, like, I'm still learning more like about Maoism and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. so far, what I understand it, it's like... If political STEM majors started bullying art students, that's so far my take on Maoism. That's basically yeah. So the Red Guards, the Red Guards were these like cadres of students who were incited by Mao to overthrow old culture and capitalist rotors in the party and in society, and went about policing people's political commitments and burning remnants of old culture and old ways and old society, including in this movie, like that big pile of opera stuff that. Renee watched being burned with melancholy eyes. Which is funny because like because the Red Guards was... eventually impl- imploded because they like got in fights with each other over political factionalism. But, Sounds like leftists. You know, it happens. Yeah. Which, but do. like the fact That's is they fair. were they were so into it that they even sent a 
person who is on a co-intel program to a fucking re-education camp even though she was in the middle of like getting fucking war secrets from the french yeah Yeah. but she was a fucking opera singer which is funny because then literally anytime i get into like trans tanky twitter and see like a transgender maoist i'm like this is the movie that i think of (laughs) (laughs) somebody just canceled us Somebody, somebody is breaking rocks in the Chinese countryside. MLM trans Twitter is having a fit right now. Um, it's a real place. I've been there. I can't, I can't, I can't hear them from Siberia. Listen, okay. You might think that it's excessive to send song to re-education through hard labor, but if you are a capitalist rotor opera singer, sometimes what you need is a Lao guy if you're actually going to be committed to the proletarian cause. She was an off-Broadway actor fucking stealing military secrets from a government. And they still sent her to break rocks. So... You know, Song gets out of that and goes over to France and immediately incites the 1968 <laughs> uprisings in France. So, and like, uh, I love how that ended, how, or like, how she went over there and they like are both living their like shitty lives and just to like get by and like continue to. To continue to get by, she forces him to, like, take a shitty job where he could potentially steal secrets. And, like, Mm -hmm. they're obviously, like, they must have been living, like, a miserable life because they were there for, like, a year plus or something, like, living in a shitty Parisian apartment. It was, like, three scenes in the movie, but they were there a long time. Which is funny. Like, what it reminds me of is there's a a Zizek line from uh, Pervert's Guide to Ideology. 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 (laughs) Hot dogs. (laughs) Where he's, like, talking about how, like, the real tragedy of Titanic would have been if they had actually both survived and they got together and, like, went on and had, like, a shitty relationship afterwards. Like, if both Mm -hmm. the characters in the Titanic, which is kind of what this is about. Which the tragedy is actually almost the best outcome. Yeah, which is kind of what this is about. Because, again, with with, uh, Madame Butterfly, the American fucks off and the girl kills herself. But in this one, Mm -hmm. they end up keep go. They just kind of keep going and things just get worse worse and worse and then like they uh, jeremy irons ends up dying in jail well he kills himself and she actually like like song um in the real story at least you know served the prison time and then like lived in paris for the rest of his life i saw i saw there was a quote it was the um like i think in the 80s the president of uh, france pardoned him yep. and basically said like this is so, a really stupid story like this is yeah a, exactly this is a, you were in prison for a really stupid reason we don't care and also just too is a little interesting tidbit as well apparently the uh character that's song or the person that song was based on mm-hmm. apparently didn't talk much about it until just before they died where they actually said that they had feelings for uh yeah. the, the french dude like which again admitted, it's, yeah which is yeah, interesting like, implications for the entire thing well because it's also too it's just like is is he gay like jeremy iron's character is he gay is he bi was like the ending well, in, the, he kind in of... the real world he's gay from what mm-hmm. i understand or at least mostly gay like he had mostly had sexual encounters with men which is certainly not the character in the movie no because he, he has a, he has a mental, he, and he has like a mental break when his gender identity like comes or his seg when his sexual identity comes into yeah. question he loses his mind yeah in the movie mm-hmm. he's like a very protective straight guy um mm-hmm. with like an ex-wife and affairs with women and stuff but there was there did seem almost a moment 
when they were in that prison van together, where Rene almost seemed to be interested, where he was able to see past gender and still love Song. Which is, I think, is a good place to go to just to finish this off to talk about the very end of the movie. Where Rene sort of winds up doing this performance of Chinese opera where he puts on like makeup and a wig and like women's clothes and in himself identifies as Madame Butterfly um, and what the fuck that was about. Well, it was yeah. interesting because the whole monologue goes, he sort of like starts out by saying that like, you know, there's this idea, this perfect woman and like it sort of is implying that like oh but the man that he thought was the perfect woman wasn't worthy because he wasn't actually the perfect woman but then it turns on to it to then it eventually it starts to turn around and starts to insinuate that she was that or like song was the perfect woman and that it was like Jer- like jeremy iron's character that was not worthy of that mm-hmm, and like yeah. sort of creates this like they basically, yeah, they lose their mind afterwards and, like, have, like, this mental break and, like, internalize the character that they projected and then mm-hmm. uh, cuts his own throat open on stage. Yeah, and there's this sort of idea, I think, in the movie that does get played up in that scene where the perfect woman in the eyes of this misogynistic, racist man can only be constructed by a man because only a man is able to embody something that is so disconnected from actual personhood. Like the, the perfect subservient slavish woman yeah. can only be construed in the minds the mind and the performance of a man. Yeah. Um, and so he himself goes on to embody that. In a weird like a act. weird sort of like psycho autogynophilic way. Yeah, totally. Oh yeah, no, um and I find that message I sent you. He's an incel 4chan AGP who turns himself in the, into the perfect subservient Asian woman because Western women are trapped. <laughs> Which, I don't know what you're all talking about. I really enjoyed uh, French Folsom pl- Prison Blues. Sir <laughs> <laughs> so Renee is um, not a good boy. We don't stand. Yeah, we do not stand. We stand, we stand song, though. Yeah, song fucks hard. Oh, yes. Song, song fucks. Well, song doesn't fuck, which is a power move. <laughs> and yet somehow convinces Renee that they had a child. They don't fuck, but they have a child. Like, I'm sorry. That was a very confusing moment. It's like they never had sex. It's well, like- there's a cutaway. There's like a scene where they, where they like are sort of doing butt stuff, like insinuated. Like, I guess that's, I guess, uh, I guess that was that that was. I guess. Yeah. But I thought that it was sort of just dry humping. Like if it, if, it, if it was anything, it might have been butt stuff. Yeah, I guess. But that's you know, Renee is not a smart guy, and it fit into his fantasy yeah. that Song would have a son for him. You know, it didn't actually matter if it was plausible. I don't think for him to believe it. It was just perfect for him. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, I think that's pretty much a good overview on the movie and basically like, the main points and takes away. Mm-hmm. I think we what we should get to at this point in time though is, is the question that we always ask is. Is this good representation? Uh, final closing For thoughts. What? <laughs> I think this is good representation of, of Maoism, Maoist double agent transvestitism. Yeah, which finally, you know, that's sort of my second year undergrad experience, and so it's close to home. 
That's what you get for being in the liberal arts. Uh, Ree? Um, I think that, well, one, it's a good movie, and I think that it brings up a lot of interesting points about gender and also creates a relation of, like, the way that we view gender and the way that we view race and, like, the interactions between, like, whiteness and maleness with those two concepts. Mm -hmm. So... I think yeah, I think it's I think it's an interesting movie, especially if you are in the process of exploring your feelings about like gender. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily bad representation. I'll be honest, I really wasn't overly thrilled with the movie. Um, not that it's bad. I think part of the problem is I was watching it with more of a focus on like the queerness rather than the whole story. I and mean, so like in the queerness element, I felt there were some unresolved questions that I would have loved answered. Yeah. But I mean, like, do I think it's, you know, good representation? I think it's it's an interesting spy movie with like one question that gets asked at the very end of like the whole idea of like, how do you love someone beyond gender Mm -hmm. but like i mean all in all it's not too bad i mean i enjoy operas so it's pretty good and honestly it was nice watching jeremy irons character just like hit rock bottom and not get back up from there which is funny because like to me being an alcoholic in 60s france is my retirement okay yeah Okay, that's a valid point. That is an absolutely valid point. And also, too, can we also just appreciate that French prison in the 1960s, apparently everyone enjoyed theater so much that, like, if a dude got into a room with a bunch of guys and, like, dressed up in makeup and, like, they just appreciated it for the art form and not some creepy, like, we're gonna see you in the shower afterwards situation. Yeah, no, they all, like, applauded. They loved it. Yeah, exactly. That's a cute scene. I, I, I need to go to French prison. It seems pretty dope. Yeah, no, I enjoyed the movie. There's Maoism. There's... <laughs> Good Mao representation. There's, gay, there's Maoism, gay shit, peak Jeremy <laughs> Irons, intrigue. Like, it's everything you like. There's, yeah. yeah, no, like, it's, it's, I think, an interesting look at gender in a way that I didn't find that insensitive. Yeah. And I was surprised that I actually enjoyed a sort of spy movie where the conceit is that the spy is pretending to be a woman. Yeah. And I think it works. I think it actually works. So. Like the yeah, the, it's it's like it's it was I think the secret is that it was punching up like the like mm-hmm. for li- for lack of a better term the joke was always on Jeremy oh, that's Irons. Bad. Yeah, yeah it was always on Renee. It was always on French Empire. It was always on white people. Yeah, yeah the, the, pro- the problem, people, like the only criticism people. of song was from people within the same culture. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a pretty good uh, summary of uh, Hans Gruber's uh, gay shit. <laughs> Hans Gruber meets Maoism. Uh, so yeah, thank you all again for joining us this week. Uh, again, M. Butterfly, take a look at it. It's Cronenberg Before Horror. Oh, uh, also, I can't remember which one of you pointed out. It looks, because you could tell that Cronenberg shot it because it looks like it was shot as a horror movie, the way the lighting is and all that stuff. It looked really cool. That was free. Oh, that was free? Okay, good. Hey, good I've job, I've never Rhi. seen a Cronenberg movie. Oh, that's right. You haven't seen any. You gotta watch The Thing. Oh, you gotta watch The watch Thing. I watch movies. <laughs> I am The Thing. <laughs> no, we'll watch... Well, watch The Fly. The Fly is a metaphor for dysphoria. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. So yeah, uh, once again, I am Madeline Hops. My Twitter is rabbit underscore is dead. Um, I'm working on a lot of projects for uh, stuff for the Tranifesto podcast. Uh, I'll be posting cryptic messages because I got to entertain myself throughout the days. Um, but yeah, we'll keep you posted on that. I'm Amelia Blair at Lavender Ashtray on Twitter. I... I'm not going to be posting much or doing anything because I'm away being messy. You're going to get some. So, yeah. And I'm Ree Carter at 
Riri Carter, R-H-I-R-H-I-C-A-R-T-E-R, and I have a video game out. Uh, yeah! Assuming that yeah, nothing bad do. has happened because we're recording this early. But yeah, and it's called, <laughs> yeah. it's called Echo Royale. It's like Flappy Bird, except it's Vaporwave and multiplayer, and you can play either with friends on Steam, and it's on mobile, and it only costs a buck, and we might even have it on uh, iPhone, or the, I- the Apple Store by this point. So yeah, go do that. Look at look up uh, Echo Royale or my studio Dead Genre, and go buy that for a dollar or free on mobile, if I remember correctly, depending on how we're pricing that, because it's as it's not technically out yet in our time. So yeah, that's that's that. Cool, perfect. Coming at you from the past. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting. Like if something major event happened between now and when we release this, and it's just like, wow, they don't even seem to care. It's, oh wow! Oh, did you guys hear about that asteroid that crashed into Florida? They're not even mentioning 9/11 <laughs> I guess Notre Dame burned, and this movie did take place in Paris. And we oh, we saw Notre Dame. Yeah, that's true. All right, perfect. Well, again, thank you all for joining us, and uh, we'll all see you again probably in two weeks. And remember, just because mm-hmm. it's bad doesn't mean it isn't good. Enjoy what the hell you like, and we'll see you all again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.